Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be back with you again this morning. Uh, had a little uh, vacation time with Corrine and the family, and that was wonderful. But your family, too, and it's good to be back here with you. I know for some of you, setting up like this is like, what the heck is going on? This is kind of weird. You ever been in, you know, having dinner with someone and there's like a flower or some ornament in the way and you're like doing this kind of a thing to look past the flower and finally you just move it to the side so that you can actually see the person? Think of it like this, okay? You're at the table with family. There's just a lot more of you and you have to look at each other every now and then and have that kind of contact. Actually, here's a story before I get started. When I was in Haiti one time, I spent the night in a tent in this rural area, and there was like a big festival celebration the night before that didn't end till probably one in the morning, where they were singing, and they were dancing, and they had like this talent show, and it just went on and on and on, right? And it was a lot of fun to watch, but I was exhausted afterwards, and so me and one of the other guys who was there had a tent, and we went and laid in this tent, and it was a little cold that night. I remember being a little cold. I had a little jacket on. I didn't have a sleeping bag because, anyway, just wasn't as well prepared as I probably should have been. But we went and stayed there, but the generator was still going, and the generator wasn't far from our tent. And so this gas-powered generator is just going on. And then every now and then it would run out of gas, and it would be, oh, nice, it's quiet. But then they'd fill it up, and they'd start it again. And then after the generator finally, I guess, ran out of gas or whatever, the party finally stopped. Then I hear goats and all kinds of other things. And so it was one of those nights where maybe I got an hour of sleep between waking up. And then that morning was Sunday morning, the service. And so I was a guest, so I had to sit in front facing everybody. 
with an hour of sleep, and it was a rigorous day. And so I forget what time it was, but I was like, oh man, I'm struggling to stay awake, right? But I'm facing, you know, 100 people. And the way I stayed awake was I said, I'm going to keep looking for someone who is looking at me. And I'm like one of the few white people that were there. So it was not hard to find someone staring at me. And so I'd look and there'd be someone staring at me. And then they'd look away because they were caught staring at the white person, right? And that's how I stayed awake the entire time was I just like, who's looking at me? There's someone. Okay. Who's looking? There's someone. And I just kept going back because I can't fall asleep if someone's looking at me. I just throw that out there at the beginning. Okay. Just to keep you paranoid and wondering what's going on. Maybe someone's staring at you. If you start nodding, they see you. You know, this is a time where it is difficult for us as a nation because of all the things that are happening in the news. And as these things have been taking place, and you have heard the names, uh, Philando Castile, the officers, Lauren Ahrens, Michael Smith, Michael Kroll, Patrick Zamaripia, Brent Thompson. You think of the families who have been affected by their deaths and the shootings, and we have a nation that is fearful and is angry on so many sides. And I was thinking, what can we do to be a healing to not only the nation, but to the world, because I think that's what we are supposed to be. I think we are supposed to be the people who bring healing. And I was thinking, how do we connect these people who if you hear them separately, it's almost like there's two different conversations going on where this group is saying, this is what matter. These are the lives that are matter. This is the tension that we feel. This is the, the problems as we see it. And then you have the other side saying, well, this is how I see it. And it seems like they just keep clashing and clashing and clashing. And really what it's going to take is for there to be something more important to both groups that unifies them. And I believe that's really kind of the topic that we're going to start talking about for the next five weeks. We're starting a series called Friends. And I want to look at how this is so important to us as a community. And as we're going to start, we are going to be looking at John the Apostle. And you need to understand this about John. John described himself in his gospel, chapter 13, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And as you go through the gospels, you see John posturing himself in that way. He is the one who sat next to Jesus, who laid his head on his chest. He is the one who is with Jesus at all these special moments, the transfiguration at the garden when they're praying. He sees himself as Jesus's BFF. He really does. I and Jesus were best of friends. And so now John is later on in years. And as he is seeing what has taken place in the church, he's upset about some things because there are a lot of people who are leaving 
the church, but it's not for reasons you might think. It's not because they no longer believe in Jesus. They just think that there is more to know, that there is more to experience, that you have to have these you know, astounding encounters with God. There has to be visitations from angels. There has to be miraculous events taking place in your life. Jesus is good, but we need the spectacular. And so he starts to address these things. And if you have a copy of the scriptures, open it up to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Here we have Jesus' friend, his best friend, according to him, writing these things to help us understand what I believe is most important. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our or your joy complete. Now, it's interesting because in the Greek, verses one to about three and a half is one sentence. Now, I think, I I don't remember English at all, um, my class, but I'm pretty sure a sentence, you don't breathe in a sentence, right? Your sentence is something you could say through without having to breathe. When you take a breath, then... Maybe that's a comma or a new pair. I don't know. But anyway, try reading those first three and a half verses without breathing. I don't, I couldn't do it. Maybe you can. Maybe you've got better lungs than I can. But you see, John starts off with this statement, and it's so interesting because he doesn't introduce himself as, hi, by the way, my name is John. I am, I am one of Jesus' best friends. He, he doesn't start off in that way. He actually just starts off in this proclamation. He, he, he doesn't have a lot of words to say, but what he says, he's saying them very powerfully. It's interesting because the total vocabulary in the New Testament is 5,437 words. That's in the whole New Testament. In all three of John's epistles, you know how many words he uses? 303. There is a lot of repetition. And it's because he's got a few words to say at the end of his life that he wants to hammer home. This is what is most important. And so he starts declaring these things over and over again. This is straight talk that he wants to give like a dad to his children when we are on vacation. Recently, one of our conversations, we had a bunch of them, but one of our conversations, we were talking, I was talking with my cousin, and I don't know who all I know, Corrine was there, I think my daughter was there, and we were talking about our daughters, my cousins and mine, and about 
what we want for them as far as a person who they're going to be with and marry. And we were talking about how we make so many decisions thoughtfully. If it's a career or if it's a business or the type of car or even television we're going to buy, we research it. We want to find out what is the best value. What is the, you know, repair costs over long term? What is the customer reviews? Don't you love reviews? I I go to reviews all the time. I'm a Yelp addict, right? If I want to know if something's good, I go to Yelp. Karina and I went to this one place. It had five stars, but it only had two reviews. And now we know it was family because it was not good, right? (laughs) But you go to Yelp, and if there's like a 1,000 reviews and it's got 4.5 stars, you know that a lot of people like this. And so it's got this kind of, yes, this is good. So we'll research where we go to eat a hamburger. But when it comes to relationships, so many times it's just how I feel. Oh, I really, I like this person. Why? They just make me feel good. I'm just so happy when I'm with them. And it's like, man, you know, don't settle for something less than what you really want in your life. And so we started talking about, you know, what is your goal in life? Is someone going to be a part of that? What are your expectations? Whenever I go through premarital counseling, it's all about expectations. What are you expecting? What are they expecting? Do your expectations head in the same direction? Or is his going this way and yours going that way? And one of you is going to be very disappointed in the future, right? And so why don't we spend more time focusing on who we're going to spend the rest of our life with? Because that's a big decision. I know when Karina and I got married, it was just kind of, well, we're Christians and we love each other, so that's all we need. We needed more. Thank God, God gives more. But why do we settle? when it comes to something so important. And John is writing with this repetition, no introduction, no, hi, my name is John. Basically, he's coming at us as a dad to the kids and saying, this is what's important. There's not one name or place mentioned in this letter. It's straight talk from the heart to what is most important. And John now, older in his life, has the the wisdom of years behind him. And it's so good to have people who have lived life give experience. Those who have the gray hair. Just thought I'd say that. Don't have to have gray hair, but just shows that you're up there in years most of the time. To be able to, to speak straight. So that when you come up to them, they're going to tell you like it is. They're going to say, hey, I've been there. I've done that. Don't do it. It's stupid. Right? Don't quit your job. Don't leave your family and kids. That's not the decision you need to make in this place right now. You need to get some help. And this is what you should do here. Instead of just, oh, wow, bro, that's tough. I'll pray for you. 
right? Someone who will shoot straight and say, hey, man, listen, this is what needs to be done. Listen to me. I've been there. I know what's going on. And John is shooting from that place. He's saying, I'm telling you guys in a few words, I'm repeating them over and over again because this is what's important. This is what you need to know. And he wants us to know that he is the one who has seen, who has heard. He mentions that twice. Touched, handled. The word of life. See, I wonder what it was like to have put your head on Jesus' chest and to actually hear his heartbeat. I wonder what it was like to see Jesus get angry. To see him emotionally moved where he cried. To have to wake him up when he's sleeping. Whether it's in a boat or it's just time to get up and go. Or to be woken up, in my case probably, by Jesus when I'm asleep and have him, hey, it's time to get up. Wonder what it was like to, to be so close to him that you could smell his breath good or bad. And I wonder if how many of you are thinking it's sacrilegious to think that Jesus had bad breath. But John was that person. John was that close. See, those who were saying your relationship with Jesus is not enough. What, what you need is more profound teaching. You need to get in deep to the word. You need to get in depth. We need to go systematically. That's the only way you can really get closer to God. We need more insight into the text. You know, those people who have it all figured out, who know exactly what you need to be close to God, those always worry me, the people who have everything together. Because I've been a follower of Jesus for over 30-some years, and even longer than that. It's been a long time. Anyway, I don't have it all together. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. And anyone who comes across like, yeah, I've got this all figured out, I'm like, I don't know if I trust that. But these were people he's combating who have this divine life that's untouched by the pain of the world. I've got it all figured out. And John writes with urgency as the one who knew Jesus. And he starts in the beginning, he says, that which was from the beginning. And again, he's speaking of God's eternal, unchanging state. This is how it's been. It reminds us again of the gospel. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. It has that origin. He likes to start in the beginning here. That theme is something reoccurring. And notice that John isn't explaining anything, that he's declaring it. He's not trying to help us see. He's just telling us what it is. You know, if someone were to come up to you or to come up to me and they were to say, well, tell me about your wife. I probably wouldn't say, well, my wife's very real to me. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Well, I hope she's very real to you. I didn't think she was imaginary, you know. What what do you mean she's very real to you? 
you know, I, I don't know if you believe in her, but, you know, she, she's real to me, and I have a personal relationship with her. Doesn't that sound distant? I wonder, don't we sound distant sometimes in our conversation with people? I, no, I, I would declare, no, this is my wife. I see her every morning. I talk to her all the time. She is there. We hug. We embrace. I have this connection. I, I would just tell it uh, like it is. It wouldn't be roundabout. Jesus is saying, I was there. This is who he is. I'm declaring it to you. It's not that he's real to me. No, he was real. I, I touched. I, I heard. I, I saw him. I was there. I'm his BFF. That's how it was. And he's making this declaration. And you can hear him saying, why have you settled for something less? Why have you settled for something that isn't what's best? Just like the dad would talk to their kids. Have we settled for knowledge? Have we forgotten that he's real? You see, an error of that time was that they didn't believe that Jesus occupied an actual body. They, they thought that this body goes through too many issues for it to be divine, to be hungry, to have to go to the bathroom. That's not divine. That, that's too human for God to have to experience. And so Jesus was this kind of phantom that didn't have to go through these things that those things were beneath a divine being like Jesus. And John is saying, listen, I was there. I saw the pain in his face. I saw him moved with compassion. I saw these things happen. And so in verse 2, we see that he repeats a couple of things. He says, the life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life. We see life, eternal life, repeating itself. And then he goes on, he says, which was with the Father and has appeared. Again, appeared is taking place. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. He's repeating, seen, heard, proclaim, proclaim. We're understanding this appeared. This is something that is here. And he's repeating these things because he's trying to get the point across. We proclaim, not explain. And then notice in verse 3, it says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you. That word, so that, is a turning point. He's about to tell us something. He's about to tell us something that is very important. He's about to to lay his hand. He's about to unfold the agenda of what he's writing about, what this is all about. We are about to get an explanation of what this following Jesus really is all about. I'm proclaiming he appeared. I have seen, I have heard, I have touched. The word was made flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld his glory so that. Now I imagine, what would you put into that so that? All this happened so that I might be forgiven. So that I could go to heaven. 
so that my life might have purpose, so that I might be healed. Those are the things my mind goes to. If I think, what is the most important thing? Jesus appeared. What is the reason that Jesus appeared? What is all this happening? But what does he say here? So that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. So that you might have fellowship with us. Jesus came. All this is revealed so that you might have this koinonia, this communion, this common place with God and with us. That is the purpose of him coming. That is why he came. The whole point of this is so that you can have fellowship. John, the best friend of Jesus, just bottom-lined what faith is about. He just gave us what is the most important thing. He told us what it is. See, I think many times we settle for less than what Christianity really is. We, We settle for having the comfort of Bible knowledge. I know the Bible. I know the scripture. And that brings a certain amount of comfort to us. And so I I settle for that. That's what this is all about. I I have this understanding. Or for me, it can be, you know, I, I, just being honest with you, I I find comfort or, or satisfaction when there's a lot of people. And if I'm really honest, sometimes I find satisfaction if I felt I gave a good talk and and it was received well. I go home and I feel good. I'm like, that was good, man. That was, yeah, that was, hit the nail on the head on that one. And I felt good about it. Okay, I'm just being honest. No judging here, okay? Those are the things that I start to think, yeah, that's what my life is about. It's just about proclaiming these things. It's about making these things. And I settle for like an emotional buzz that moves me when I give that talk or, or the things that I say that might touch someone or move someone. And those things are important to me. And I start thinking, yeah, that's what it's all about. That's what it's good. But John says, I, the best friend of Jesus, am writing this letter for this reason that we would have fellowship. And I got to tell you that it's been convicting to me to see this and think of this. And I think, how many things have I settled for? of what is less than really the intention of God. It's not about that I can give great talks or even do great things. Yes, it's great. We're helping the homeless. We're just in Mexico and we're doing things in Haiti. It's great. All those things are important. They're wonderful. But the most important thing is that I have this fellowship. And notice that it starts with us. It doesn't even start with God that you might have fellowship with us. This connection to to God's people, to God's family. And I have to tell you, that hasn't been high on my list. I've had so many other things that I think have been important, and I just have to kind of stop, and I have to to repent, and that just means I have to change my mind and the way I think about this thing I call Christianity and what it's really about, because it's not about all these other things. It's really about this fellowship with each other, God and with Christ. 
Christianity is not about application of teaching. It is friendship. What would happen if in our society, the most important thing was friendship with the people around us? How would that dissolve so many of the problems that we are facing right now if it really was about friendship? Communion, koinonia, this understanding of these things. And see, we just can't settle. We don't want to settle for these things. He says, this is so our or your joy might be full. And and I have to ask, and I had to ask myself, when is my joy full? When am I happy? And I always like to go in reverse. When am am I not joyful? Okay, I'm going to be honest. I'm not joyful when I don't have Wi-Fi. We were on vacation, and there were parts where there was no Wi-Fi and there was no cell reception. And I found myself bummed. Now, that's not good, right? I mean, that's not a good thing to have your joy taken away because you don't have cell reception or Wi-Fi because I can't play my games. Sometimes I get bummed out when my favorite TV series is over. And I have to wait for the next season. You know, I binge watch seven shows in a row, and then it's the last one, and I'm on Netflix, and I'm like, wait, that's it? And it leaves me hanging. I have no joy. I, I get upset because I'm longing for this sh- show to continue, and, and I start thinking the things that I really miss and that I, I steal my joy. We were in Mexico, and we usually stop had amazing tacos. Those gave me joy. But then I'm trying to be healthier. And so there's the pandaria where you get the bread. And the last time I was there, I got this pastry that was cream-filled that was just decadent. It had like a whole bowl of pudding inside of a donut. And it was just amazing And one of the people went and and she got one of these kinds of donuts, but I didn't. And I, she offered some and I said, no, because I'm trying to be good, but I had no joy. (laughs) It stole my joy. Do you lose your joy for those kinds of reasons? John, at the end of his life, is filled with joy because he's friends with Jesus. I want you to know him. I want you to have this fellowship with us and with him. What is this joy of Jesus? Turn to Luke chapter 10. We get a glimpse of this from Jesus himself as we see an incident that's taking place, starting in verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy. Now, this is mega joy. This is exclaiming joy. This is, man, I'm jazz. This is can't contain it joy. It's not just Jesus was joyful. He was full 
of joy. Through the Holy Spirit, he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise, those who think they know it all, from the learned who thinks it's all about what you can attain through knowledge. You've hidden these things from the wise and learned and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this is what you were pleased to do. All that has been done and committed to me by my Father, no one who the Son is except the, no one knows who the Son is except for the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son has chosen to reveal it. Verse 23, then he turned to his disciples and said privately, and they think this is probably the most intimate thing that Jesus has really said between him and his disciples as this word privately comes up. Blessed are your eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. You see, John heard, John saw, John had this relationship with Jesus. And this is what brought Jesus joy. And this is what's bringing John joy. I have things that I want to tell you. Jesus says, and I can only tell these things to my friends. I can only tell these things to the people who are closest to me. I don't want you to to make a list of what you should and shouldn't do. I don't want to see who knows the most about me. This is about who will walk with me, talk with me, and be with me. And this brought a fullness of joy to him. You are sharing yourself with these children. And it brought him joy. You have seen it. You have heard it. This is what's taking place at this time. Last time we went to the orphanage, I mentioned there was this little girl, her name is Angela, and she had only been there for two days, and Angela would not smile, would not look up at anyone. She was just in seclusion, and and there was just this cloud over her wherever she was. You could tell that she was not accepting the fact that this is her life, that it's not with family, that it is in this orphanage with these other people taking care of me, with these other kids. And it was heartbreaking to see her face and to try and make her smile, and she would just shut down and close up. We went to the orphanage, and I was looking for Angela. I just wanted to see how is she doing. And I saw Angela playing with the other kids, laughing having water fights and her smiling and squealing with delight. And I got to tell you that this brought joy. This, this, to see her connected, to see her actually alive brought joy. You see, it wasn't about, does she understand? Has she accepted her situation? No, is she living now with the people that she's at? Does she have friends? Does she have people she can trust? People who care for her and how she now cares for them. 
And it changed everything in her life because there were people now that she had in her life. You see, it is all about the friendship. It is all about the relationship. Christianity is all relational. And if we ever think or want to reduce it to informational, we have missed the boat. Jesus said, prophets, kings have longed to see what you see and didn't see it. What was that? The relationship you have with me that I am here, that I am now your friend, that you can have this dynamic with me, the living God. What he wants more than anything is to be your friend. And this is what brings joy. And this is the bottom line. This is what faith is about. And what would happen if this was the most important thing to us and how we connect with one another and how we connect with the world around us? This is what is driving John at this point. In Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Jesus says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Pleased to give you the kingdom. This is what he desires for us. This is what he cares about. It is his pleasure to give us the kingdom. Turn to John 15. I don't know if I had this and I missed it. John 15, verse 11. Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I call you friends John heard Jesus say that I'm not looking for servants. I'm not looking for employees. That's not what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is friends. I'm looking for people who I can tell the most important things to. You don't tell those most important things to employee, to servants. Only those things that are so important to you, you can you reveal to friends, people who you can trust aren't going to take advantage of them. I don't want you to make a list. I want you to become my friend. The joy is that he shares himself with us. We are not here to be more moral than other people. We are not here to be more knowledgeable. We are not here to be bigger, better. We are here to be friends with one another and with God through Jesus. I don't want to get to the end of my life 
and look back and say, you know, I, I gave people some real helpful things to help them in, in their lives. I, I really look back in my life and I, did, I had a church and we did these things in Haiti and we did these things in Mexico. I don't want to get to the end of my life and not look back and say, I, I did not get people to touch Jesus and to be friends with Jesus. That's what I want to be at the end of my life. I want to be able to look back just like John is saying, I have touched, I have held... This is what it's about so that you might have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. I want that to be the bottom line of my life, that I have connected people to be friends with the God who's looking for friends, to be with him. And to make this friendship epidemic in our society, that we treat people like this. Why? Because this is what is most important. And may we grab hold of this vision, which was able to transform John's life, which we see transform a little orphan girl in Mexico, just that she had some friends, that is able to change us if we had recognized that this is what is most important. Jesus came so that we could have this communion with one another, with the Father, and with Jesus. He doesn't call us servants. Servant doesn't know what the master's doing. Friends, they have his ear. May we be his friends. Let's pray. God, we settle for so many things. I settle for so many things, Lord. And Father, forgive me for being so shallow, for finding joy in such superficial things and for neglecting such important things. Lord, forgive us all for those times where we lose sight of this that you have done and what you desire, what brings you joy. And I pray, God, that our hearts would reopen to this truth, that what you want more than attendance, more than money, more than works, is our hearts and this friendship. And may we give you that. What we're going to do right now is... Sing a song. So would you stand with me? And I believe this time of singing can actually be a time of this uniting where we are not just rehearsing words, but what we are doing is having this dynamic interaction with the God who we serve and love and believe in and that we would actually open our hearts to him through this time of singing. Maybe it'll bring healing to you. Maybe it'll help restore some of that relationship that you feel was damaged or, or lacking. And I pray that our hearts be open at this time, even as we sing. Amen. May you hear the words of Jesus' best friend, that Jesus came so that you too friends. And may you not settle for me.
anything less. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Enjoy each other's company. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.